Harry Potter and the Half-Blood Prince is the best movie in the series, but the worst adaptation. And that's what I'm going to try to convince you of by the end of this podcast episode of Belated Binge Harry Potter, the re-binge podcast that doesn't take itself or the books too seriously. My name's Zach, and I'm your host. Shout out to the bonus binge squad alex and katie over on patreon let's do this the belated binge podcast okay so here's the deal i am going off the cuff today and the topic at hand is harry potter and the half blood prince why is it the best movie in the series why is it the worst adaptation in the series how can those two things be mutually true honestly i'm not sure yet but we're gonna figure it out right now so uh this is like i said uh gonna be an off the cuff uh episode it's gonna be a lot like my behind the mic series however i'm actually behind a mic and i'm not using my phone and just out in everyday life but this is going to be kind of one of those topics that uh is more free thinking uh, for the podcast. I don't have um, I don't have a script for this one, but it was inspired uh, by my friends over at the restricted section. Shout out to them uh, who are in the course of their uh, reread of the series chapter by chapter on their podcast and they have started the Half-Blood Prince book and on this past week's episode that I just listened to they were talking about the Spinner's End chapter and talking about how certain things were changed for the movie that didn't make any sense and actually took away from the uh, from the meaning and from the experience as it is compared to the book. And uh, if you've been watching on the YouTube channel, if you're watching this right now, um, if you've been um, listening through podcast apps and uh, didn't know that I make uh, some silly little videos uh, here now and again for YouTube, where I use sketch comedy to uh, talk about the changes that were made in various um, Harry Potter movies based on the books. You've noticed that many of those videos so far have been the Half Blood Prince movie. So I think that. Um, I think my feelings are pretty clear in that I do, I do think that Half-Blood Prince is the worst adaptation in the series from the book material. Um, however, I don't think that makes it the worst movie. Um, I think there are a few things that are really going for this movie. And I have to also give some credit to my buddy Garrett uh, from the Rankin podcast, who's been on this podcast before. Uh, he was the one that said to me, I believe it was in a text message, that Half-Blood Prince is the best movie of the series. And it hit me really, really hard because I immediately disagreed because I have come to this uh, feeling that it's the worst adaptation. It is. But is it the worst movie? Because of that, you could say that the adaptation is what makes the movie and therefore makes it the worst movie. But I think that that's kind of 
false. I think if you separate the two from each other, I think Half-Blood Prince really has a really has a very strong argument for best movie in the series. Um, some things that I really think it has going for it, again, off the top of my head, is one, I think that Half-Blood Prince is the movie that Michael Gambon got right. Um, I have... I've made fun of the Harry, did you put your name in the Goblet of Fire? I have complained about Michael Gammon not reading the source material. Um, I have complained. Uh, I did a bonus episode for Patreon um, behind the mic style. When did I do that? I don't remember when I did it, but I did a an episode literally walking through each one of the movies and um, discussing how Dumbledore was a different character in every movie that he was played by Michael Gambon. It wasn't the same character carried through from movie to movie. It was literally brand new dude every time. Uh, But in Half-Blood Prince, that was the one that I felt he got right. And he got closest to what I consider book Dumbledore in my head. More so even than what I think Richard Harris was able to do in the first and second movies, perhaps. Um, because while I think that Richard Harris did, had the close, like if you took the two Dumbledore actors that we got to see, I don't think there's, um, at least for me, I don't think it's even close that Richard Harris was book Dumbledore in that comparison. And it's, like I said, it's not even close for me uh, in that in that respect. Um, however, I do think that there were some things missing from the Richard Harris um, portrayal that still kind of make make Dumbledore come off wrong for me. Uh, I actually I actually think that, and I haven't given this one much thought, but I think Dumbledore might be might be the most disappointing character across the movies because of its um its inconsistency not not because of the actor inconsistency like, like you can't you can't account for what happened um with Richard Harris during the filming of this series like that that's not what i mean by inconsistency i mean more so from movie to movie the character portrayal of dumbledore did not match what the previous movie portrayed Dumbledore to be. And in that convoluted mess of inconsistency, I didn't think there, I I think there was the widest variance um, from the book character that we get in kind of some of the most like egregious ways, I think. And it's culminated in, Harry, did you put your name on the Goblet of Fire? That's, that's kind of the, it's kind of the, the, visual and very memeable um uh representation of that inconsistency and that that variance that that uh i guess that that dissonance from what the book character was to what the movie character was um i think all of the i think all of the characters in the movies really really missed the mark um, from their book characters in some ways, and I think that's going to happen. I think Dumbledore is the one that's 
it's like a wild roller coaster of how it's going to miss the mark this time um, and what it's going to hit on this time. And I think in Half-Blood Prince, it hits more than it misses. And it's Michael Gambon's best Dumbledore, in my opinion. I think, um, I think, I think he's able to capture the more calm demeanor, the more stoic nature, the more kind of laid back in control, even in the face of quite literally his own mortality and impending doom um, and knowing that. And he, he's just able to just take that in stride and just, yeah, okay, this is where we are. This is what needs to happen. I'm good with what happens next. Let's go make it happen sort of thing. Uh, that Dumbledore has always had and that Michael Gambon really, really kind of shines through yet is still able to, um, to still show like visually the power of Dumbledore, particularly in the cave scene where he is summoning the fire that they're using to, um, to, you know, fend off the inferior in uh, across the lake and like parting this you're going all moses on us uh with his um <laughs> with, with his parting of the dead sea if you will and i think i think michael gambon nailed it in that movie for uh as well as he ever did um for the character of dumbledore and i think there was uh a dynamic to that dumbledore that wasn't in some previous iterations of of the character in the movies and so for me because Dumbledore is a favorite character of mine for discussion and for um exploration and for um I guess uh even discussion like like interpretation even uh because I think that you can interpret Dumbledore's actions in uh, varying ways and and people do you know what i mean they they think of they there's dumbledore is incredibly polarizing um and i find that very interesting about him as a character in a different way than other polarizing characters in the series like i don't have nearly the affinity for the character of snape although that is also quite possibly the most polar i actually you know what not quite possibly i'm going to stamp that you can you can take that one to the bank severus snape is the most polarizing character in the series and i find him far less compelling of a character to be honest um because i don't the way that i interpret that character i think there's a lot if you're if you're balancing a ledger of of kind of his positive traits and his negative traits i i think that scale weighs very very heavily on the negative side for me in the way that i interpret that character uh and that character's actions um and so they're in in those actions that come through in the series don't don't bring me the same level of like i'm not i i don't have the interest in dissecting that because I don't think it's that complex to dissect in most cases. For me, Severus Snape is pretty much bullying children all the time. And I kind of don't care that he was bullied as a child and use that as an excuse or anything for him as an adult to be a teacher bullying children like that. 
that one's not hard for me to, <laughs> to, to grapple with. Um, so there, but somebody like Dumbledore, who I think, I think does a lot of, does a, kind of has like all the best intentions, but doesn't always do the best things. And for me, that's way more compelling to dissect because you can see he clearly is doing this for the quote unquote greater good and what he believes is the best course for their survival and their defeat of Voldemort. Yet some of the stuff that some of the decisions that he has to make and some of the decisions that he makes and the way that he carries them out, particularly as it relates to Harry and even some other people that um, he, you know, people call him the master manipulator for a reason, right? Like, and that sounds gross. That doesn't sound like a good guy, a master manipulator. That doesn't, that sounds like the villain of the series, not the actual like main protagonist hero of the series, which I would argue that Dumbledore is. And I've said this on past episodes before, I believe that the Harry Potter series is Dumbledore versus Voldemort told through the eyes and from the perspective of Harry Potter. That was also why I had um, a lot of intrigue with where the Fantastic Beasts series was trying to go. It was Dumbledore versus Grindelwald told through the eyes of Newt's commander and company. And I was totally fine with that concept um, and interested in where that story could go. Turns out the story that we got was a convoluted mess. And that's unfortunate. <laughs> uh, see previous episode for how to save the Fantastic Beast series uh, that I recorded uh, and is it's definitely on the audio feed. I can't remember if that one made its way to YouTube or not. I should probably do like an inventory. I would think that it did. Um, I would think that it got over here. I can't remember because at, at some point in time. Anyways, you, you know what? You don't care. So. Uh, Dumbledore in Half-Blood Prince to me is a win for the movie. Uh, all thing, you know, uh, to, to tie this whole ramble back around to where I was going. I think another big win for the movie, and this kind of pains me to say, but I think Draco is a big win for the movie. Um, and this is where, like, this one I have to give credit to Garrett because I wouldn't have thought this way had he not planted this seed for me. But... Draco goes on an emotional journey in Half-Blood Prince that we don't see in any of the previous uh, movies out of Draco by even any stretch of the imagination. I personally, I think I fall on the side of like, I'm, I end up being one of those anti-Draco type people. Um, I'm, I, I pretty much think that Draco is, um, consistently a, a quote unquote bad guy character throughout the series. Um, I, 
I think that I think that every good character, whether they are on the quote unquote good side or the bad side, has either redeeming or kind of like questionable qualities that in moments you question whether that's the right side for them right like not not like fully like at no point in time or during this series are you thinking like is harry potter actually a bad guy is harry potter actually the villain like you don't ever get to that point but he definitely makes some decisions where you go oh okay harry you know i didn't know you had the cruciatus curse in your bag at you know at, at any point i didn't see you crossing that line um, similarly with Draco on the other side. I think for the most part, Draco is an antagonist, a bully, and ends up having some ends up having questions about his own belief system and structure and um his own like kind of like what his role in in the whole war and everything uh, as a death eater is, and he 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 reaches a point by the end where it seems that he's internally struggling and more on the fence by the end of it but at no point in time do i see him actually crossing over that fence and just flat out becoming a good guy like the, that that quote unquote redemption arc i don't i don't really think is there for draco i think i think you can have that redemption arc for him in your head in like the in what you believe post battle went down or like your your headcanon of where that character was going um i i think that's perfectly reasonable um for you to do or explore that thought process but i think i think honestly um i think tom felton uh portrayal of draco in the movies and the fact that he's you know a heartthrob (laughs) let's be honest uh played a big role in how many people find draco to be the uh the 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 fully redeemed character or whatever by the end uh and and having his fan club and i know that at this moment um if if any are listening i i need to go check my tires in in the driveway i know um i I know i've been i've been social media uh attacked by the by the draco and the snape um fan club and that's fine like the with not literally like don't literally attack people i'm just saying that i don't i don't see the full redemption within the words that are written on the page um nor in the scenes that are on the screen but I think, but I think he has his moments where he reaches the point where you start to question and you start to see that struggle that he's having. Um, and I think that Tom Felton plays that really well on his face throughout the entirety of the Half-Blood Prince movie. He goes through the full spectrum of it because he starts that movie off super cocky, super arrogant, super proud to wear that dark mark on his arm and stoked for his position as a death eater and and as a Voldemort he is he is all in he's all for it he's got his chest out he's 
like down for the cause and proud of it at the beginning of that movie and and proud of his mission like he is stoked about his mission and as he goes through the course of the school year every time we get a glimpse of him he's getting he's he's unraveling and he's stressing more and more and more like with like each passing scene in the movie and tom felton did a really really good job showing that um even when he couldn't tell us right like the kind of the old um adage of like show me don't tell me when it comes to like storytelling and and i guess acting i'm not an actor so i I don't know what they actually teach you but i i know that's a thing right like show me don't tell me tom felton doesn't tell you almost anything in half-blood prince but he shows you everything. Um, and I would, and, and on kind of on that, I could go on a diet, like a, like a side um, tangent here about what that unraveling actually is and what's actually causing that like on the fence-ness. Like, I think, I think as much of that unraveling is just straight up fear that he's going to fail and die, then and on, I would say probably even more versus like actually questioning the the morality of what he's doing or like whether what he's doing is right like i i don't know but anyways i think but i think he has enough um i think he has enough i think he has enough by the end to uh at least justify like some some thought about his potential and his um and his character's capability of reaching a full redemption uh, and i think you see a lot of that transformation in the half-blood prince movie in very in very little dialogue very little um very little uh story um like i don't know again it it's sh- tom felton portrays it in a very very convincing way without telling you what he's feeling what's going on so that's that I think is a big, big win for the movie um, Half Blood Prince, and then just in general, the way that it's shot. Granted, I do think it's I, I do think it's too dark. Um, I think that's a given. I think all of these movies got too dark. Uh, starting honestly, starting with Prisoner of Azkaban, and and on, they they just kept getting progressively darker and darker and darker and darker to the point where we like needed uh, the flashlight on our phones shined at the tv so that we could even see it uh i i don't love that but i think everything i think a lot i think pretty much everything else about the movie was visually appealing kind of across the board um i i really really love uh daniel radcliffe in his um felix felices scenes like that is that brings me so much joy every time every single time i watch it i just like i get giddy i get instant i i laugh like it's the first time i'm hearing a joke from one of my favorite comedians every single time he does the you know in uh in in the pincers you know i love that i i can't i can't not watch that scene and actually visually and like audibly laugh it's it's most of the time i'm a i when i know what the joke is and i still i I still appreciate it i still think it's funny a lot of times i'll I'll give it the kind of thing you know 
the 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 air out of the nose and the smile and the nod just like the appreciative cool this one actually i i think i do i think i literally laugh every time it's like typing out lol with a straight face i don't have a straight face when i lol at that uh at that scene i love it uh it's it's amazing um i really enjoy the uh the dynamic of harry and hermione in that movie i think you really get a good um I think you get a, a really good feel for uh, their con- the connection that those two characters have, and I also think it does a really good job of giving you giving that like um, what do they call that one? What's the Harry and Hermione ship? Um, I I feel like uh, I feel like people are are screaming at me. Uh, all six of you are are just so mad at me right now that I can't think of that ship. But it like it's fine. Um, but I think it does a really good job of giving them something to almost like latch onto. Um, cause you, cause most of that movie, right? Like you can, they're supporting each other through like, uh, like one through the Ron and Hermione, will they, won't they Ron and Lavender stuff. Like the way that Harry is consoling Hermione in their in the way that they're um in the way that they're interacting surrounding that like you don't get a lot of like well Harry's gonna swoop in and he's gonna take advantage of this one <laughs> yeah he's gonna get the girl now like you don't get that out of it but you do get you do get them leaning on each other in 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 nice little moments like the you know she's only interested in you because she thinks you're the chosen one but I am the chosen one. And she like smacks him and it's kind of like flirty playful almost like it could be interpreted that way. Um, those types of moments, it, like it kind of gives those shippers something to, to latch onto while also not going so far as to like losing its platonic um, you, uh, nature and the kind of the beauty of that, of that friendship uh, as it kind of, as it stands. Right like in the um like i understand why people in the deathly hallows movie aren't a big fan of the dancing scene because it's like that's almost like the nod to those shippers and it's almost too heavy-handed because they're like they're literally told to play it like hey you might make out at the end of this we you never know um and i think a lot of people were like no that's not they're just friends like don't ruin it or whatever and like i kind of get where they're coming from with that but I think Haplet Prince is much more like it's clearly a a very uh, a very um, a very strong bond in friendship, and there's kind of little moments where it's almost like I said, kind of almost kind of like flirty, playful um, enough that it's that you can that if you are that shipper, you can also kind of appreciate those moments. So I I really like those. I really like their dynamic in it. Uh, by the way. Uh, I love that scene as well. The, but I am the chosen one scene. I think that's fantastic because I honestly think that that's like the most realistic line of dialogue across the entire series. Because if Harry Potter was, let's say Harry Potter was set in like an American high school, that would be Harry Potter. He would be, but I am the chosen one. And he would definitely use it to, um, uh, advance himself 
uh, amongst the the uh, romantic uh, conquests, I guess you could say his his endeavors of of trying to find um, partnership w- would would be aided by his fame. Mm. I I'm pretty confident, but that's not the Harry that we get in this series. But you get it in that in that movie scene, and I personally just really enjoy that because I I I that's what I think of when I think of. Um, when I think of Harry, I think that I, I I think that their their relationship really really stands strong in that movie. Um, I do, while I think it was taken too far from a um, from a like overall uh, share of the of the storyline. I do enjoy the comedic moments surrounding kind of the teenage romance. Um, I don't, I don't need a ton of the teenage romance, but they have funny, like they have a lot of fun with it. Uh, that I think is a, an enjoyable part of the movie. I truly just wish there was less of it (laughs) to be honest. Um, but that's what we'll get into when I talk about why it was a bad adaptation. Um, what else do I love about that movie? I don't know. Like just overall, um, I just think it's really, I, I, I just think it's a really, really, really strong movie to sit down and watch. Um, I think that you have a, I think that you, I think that if I was just sitting down and I, and I was thinking, I'm going to pop in a Harry Potter movie. There's two movies that I go to personally. I go to Sorcerer's Stone. Uh, that has become a a very nostalgic one uh, for my family as it relates to uh, me and my daughter's relationship. Um, and so I have a I have a like a an affinity for the Sorcerer's Stone movie because of that connection through her. Um, as far as if I just want to sit down and enjoy and like enjoy watching a harry potter movie i'm going to half blood prince and that surprised me given how frustrated i get with the adaptation of half blood prince so let's talk about why it's the worst adaptation um this is one i i've alluded to it already we went way too far to make it the teenage romance movie it took up way more of the screen time than it needed to. It became like plot A of the entire film, and it did not need to be that. It should have been plot C. Um, I I would have I would have really enjoyed having having nuggets of it, moments of it happening in the background while the other stuff was also taking place. Right? Like I think it's important to establish Harry and Ginny as a romantic couple in that movie. I think that the actual portrayal of that in the movie lacked any semblance of chemistry, lacked any semblance of um, the even making sense, um, and it lacked any of the anything from the book that actually made it feel real to you. Um, it didn't even happen in the same way, right? So, like in the book. It's after the Quidditch match that Harry couldn't go to because he was in detention after, you know, almost murdering Draco. Speaking of uh, questioning whether Harry could be a bad guy, (laughs) 
that wasn't a great look, but he didn't know what that spell did. So there's your minor pass. Um, but he couldn't play in that Quidditch match. He comes in, he finds out that they win. Ginny runs up to him and they just start making out. That is a, that's a more, um, a, a significantly more um, impactful scene and moment for a movie than hiding a book in the rumor requirement for moral reasons. Ginny's going with you to do that and then like telling you to close your eyes and pecking you awkwardly. And then like, I can stay up here too if you'd like, what? What in the action? That doesn't, no, there's nothing about that. Don't get me started on shoelace. What? Open up you? What? None of that is how that relationship even remotely came to fruition in the book. We got none of the, like, uh, almost like playful banter of that relation none of the actual like what end up being the little bit of like culmination from that relationship where it's just like just like the little things of them actually having a having a relationship sitting together in the common room you know like as a couple and, and having a conversation and having some witty back and forth kind of stuff all of that is just completely out the window we've got nothing that even resembles that we've it's it's just bad it's bad and romance is the number one plot in the movie and it's adapted horribly um for that relationship the ron and lavender stuff i'm actually like while it's cringy it's supposed to be um and i think that part is is kind of fine um I think the I think where I have where I have some of the um where I have like the most the most frustration with the movie though is the changing things that didn't need to be changed adding things in that didn't happen in the book and sacrificing that screen time and omitting things that were highly highly important for the book and honestly what makes it my favorite book in the series and it was all missing so uh but some of those key changes one in the like the unbreakable vow stuff where um the way that it's done like they this, this is where i'm just going to shout out the the restricted section um again for for their thoughts but i thought it was really like it, it was like kind of really um smart that they brought this up why is Bellatrix the one asking Snape the questions in the Unbreakable Vow when he's making the Unbreakable Vow to Narcissa? Shouldn't it be Narcissa asking him the questions as it is in the book because he's making the promise and the vow to her? But they have Bellatrix doing it just to give Bellatrix something to, to, to do or to say, which is like, okay, I guess, but no thanks. It's a big no for me. Um, while we're talking about Bellatrix, I have, I guess, the controversial opinion that I do not like the Bellatrix portrayal in the movies, um, and I think uh, Half-Blood Prince is a big one uh, for that. 
I think that I think that when just watching the film and you see Bellatrix, I think that character is um is is actually like quite um effective for what that character is in the movies. I just don't think it aligns with what the character is in the book. I think in the book that the character is more uh insidious. I think it's more like really like um like sadist like like murderous like uh calculating kind of just like cold there's a coldness to the character in the book uh where you're actually like kind of terrified that at the drop of a of 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 a <laughs> what what was it i think it was a fox <laughs> like you could just be dead that character's just going to kill you and not think twice about it and i don't get that out of the movie uh bellatrix movie bellatrix i get wacky um over the top crazy portraying like ah, kind of you know <laughs> like the ending of half blood prince i think is what i i think is a, is a terrible part of the adaptation as well where they sacrificed a an actual like altercation that could have been a really good climax of like magical dueling at the end and they instead had had bellatrix kicking plates and cups in the in the great hall and then like breaking some glass and like screaming kind of stuff like it that to me that just that doesn't land i think that's a i think that's a poor part of the adaptation you could have done something way cooler with that part uh, like that section of the movie which actually takes a long time them like walking from the tower and dumbledore's death to hagrid's hut before she catches it on fire like it takes a while right of screen time and you could have done something way cooler that was actually in the books like having the order of the phoenix there and having them dodging a battle to go do that right like it didn't take it wouldn't have taken uh, a significant amount of um, additional screen time. You didn't have to show every single like piece and moment that the book showed to have them dodging people doing spells as they're going through the castle instead of kicking over plates and cups. That's not to me that, and and I think that makes a way a way better climax to a movie than what we got. Um, leaving out Dumbledore's funeral is tough. Um, but I kind of get that a little bit. Um, but again, you spent a lot of time, like screen time with the, with the wands up thing that you went with, where I think you could have at least like, instead maybe montaged his funeral. If you weren't going to bring like all the actors in and like have everything done, you could, you could like montage it and at least show like the you know maybe the tomb a couple of cuts of our main character sad and like the tomb you know the the phoenix coming in and bursts into flames and like maybe that's the whole thing like i think you could have done that just as easily as you could have done the wands up thing and some of the um some of the stuff that they actually chose to do uh so i think that's that that part makes it poor from an adaptation standpoint uh and the big thing the big thing that like everybody talks about burning down the burrow for no reason 
one, it's not possible given the rules that are set up in the book. So like it doesn't even make sense within the story for that to happen. It didn't happen in the books, so it didn't need to be added. There was no reason for it. And it doesn't make it like it doesn't improve the story. To me, I think that the fact that you have taken out like almost all of the Tom Riddle memory scenes where Harry and Dumbledore are doing that investigation, you leave so much of that out, you lose like the Voldemort rise portion of that book that makes it a really, really great book. And you also lose the investigative nature of the Horcrux hunt, the actual impact of like why seven Horcruxes matters and the, the like setting up how Harry actually even knows what he's looking for in the books on that quest. Like you lose all of that setup and all of that actually making sense by taking that stuff out. And instead you add something in where you're burning down a house that wasn't burnt down in the books that those death eaters couldn't get to in the books. Like in that, that scene also takes a really long time. It takes a really long time for them to go through the, the open up you, the shoelace, the, the drama of the, you know, the, the burrow burning in, in the, or the, the flames around the burrow, the chasing them through the corn, the weird random flood that's happening in the middle of the field. And like the, the the somewhat tense but like not really tense because you know that nothing's gonna happen because you know that harry and Ginny don't die right now but like they would have been dead in literally five seconds if they are standing in the middle of like a little island in a cornfield where their assailants have all of the the cover and the element of surprise plus our fully trained dark wizard, like Death Eater types, like Bellatrix the Strange, who will murder anyone at any time in the books for any reason or even not have one. But in the movies, like, okay, sure, it's just this weird cat and mouse game. And the good guys are running, but the bad guys are flying, and it's supposed to be apparating, but they're flying in smoke. Like, that is a poor poor adaptation and you've sacrificed really really quality stuff and if you want to tell me that it was because you wanted to have like an action scene in the middle you can't tell me that you couldn't have like (laughs) gotten your your action scene from the gaunt memory right Voldemort killing his family you you couldn't have gotten action out of that you could that wouldn't have been more um, done more to set up the fact that the Death Eaters are dangerous or, or, or that this world is dangerous or that the, the story just got real. Like, you, that doesn't give you that. No, none of that background matters. It, not at all. We don't want to spend more time with Harry and, and Dumbledore are like two main sources of, uh, of like protagonist um, plot moving forward of this like entire book series and movie series, but no, no, no. What we want is corn. That's what we want. Cool. It's bad. It just is from an adaptation standpoint. It's bad. If you just sit down and watch the movie, that scene 
does what the movie is supposed to do. It's building tension. It's giving, pulling at your heartstrings. You feel awful for the Weasley family, knowing that they're broke, knowing that they're going to have to rebuild their house. It plants fear in your mind because they're, they're gettable. Apparently, the Death Eaters can go right through the protective charms around the burrow, know exactly where it is, know exactly where Harry is, and can come get him at any time. That is a cause for tension and concern and is a terrifying notion. It's just not at all book accurate in the slightest. So it's not a good adaptation, even if it does make for a good like movie watching experience with your popcorn. So anyways, I know that that was, um, it might not have been the most, uh, the most, uh, the cleanest outline of an episode in the world. But ultimately, the, that's my thoughts. Like, I, I still think that if you just sit down and watch Harry Potter and a Half-Blood Prince, I think it is the best movie in the series while also being the worst adaptation. If you enjoyed this uh, and you're watching on YouTube, do the things, subscribe, like, watch other videos. That would actually be my, my biggest request is go watch other videos um, while you're here. Uh, if you are listening on a podcast platform, please, you know, rate, review, um, you know, follow uh, on that on that podcast app. And if you, if any of you are so inclined, there is a Patreon to uh, support the podcast. I've got bonus content over there. Um, you get everything early as well. Um, at, at you know, and and there's a, a few different tiers with different um, perks. But um, from for the uh, the bonus binge squad and up, you get everything. Um, early you get the bonus episodes and, and all of that stuff uh, so go ahead and check out patreon.com slash belated binge for that the website has links to all the things uh, belated binge.com and uh, yeah this was fun 